The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on this week's episode, I am joined by the iconic, the living legend, the man himself, Danny Danko. And for those of you who don't know Danny Danko, he is a legend in the world of cannabis cultivation. He had been the senior cultivation editor at High Times for, I don't know, like probably a decade or something in that ballpark. What what was it, like 20 years almost at High Times? And a whole number of other cannabis grow and education and writing ventures. And probably responsible for helping, I don't know, if I had to guess, millions of people learn more about how to grow cannabis and, and sharing that what I call plant-based education. And that's why I call him the iconic, legendary Danny Danko. So Danny, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. And if there's anything I didn't include in the intro, feel free to tell the folks at home a little more about yourself. Right. Well, as you mentioned, I've been uh, almost two decades at High Times, uh, 18 years uh, full time over there uh, as a you know a cultivation reporter and then editor and then senior editor and yeah I got to travel a lot uh, all around the world and visit different people's uh, cultivation operations and, and and you know smoke their cannabis and hash and so it's been it's been pretty amazing a lot of uh, wonderful traveling experiences and along the way. Um, wrote a couple of books. Uh, one was the official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains in 2011. Uh, and uh, just recently in 2018, I uh, wrote the uh, book Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of been my lane, you know, has been sort of teaching people how to grow their own, um, visiting people's gardens, doing profiles, uh, tasting different strains uh, of of cannabis and hash around the world and reporting on the flavors and the effects and the scents and, you know, all of that. And it's, it, it's just been exciting. You know, there, there were mentors of mine, you know, Ed Rosenthal and Jorge Cervantes and Kyle Cushman and uh, Mel Frank, people that came before me in this uh, industry and, and as authors and, and people who travel around teaching people how to grow. And that's who I learned from. And I just wanted to pass it down. Uh, to the next generation and people who are interested in in cultivation because I think it's the way that you get the highest quality. Amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm like as a joke. I'm wondering, you know, if if you were like a, what are the Danny Danko genetics? Is it like an Ed Rosenthal <laughs> crossed with the Kyle Cushman or you know? Is there... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, as with genetics, you know, you always have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, praise the, the people that came before you, your elders and, and the people who you learn from. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's who made, made you who you are. And so uh, people like that, as well as, you know, politically, people like Jack Herrer and Dr. Lester Grinspoon, 
uh, and you know, people like that who taught me that, you know, not only is this a wonderful plant and a healing flower, uh, but we have to fight for it. Uh, we have to make sure that people aren't in jail for it, aren't, you know, uh, losing their families or their, or their rights uh, because they happen to consume this, this healing flower, you know what I mean? It's lumped in with, you know, dangerous narcotics, but we all know um, that we're talking about something more benign than, than, you know, alcohol or nicotine or even sugar. Uh, so, you know, we're really talking about an, an herb uh, of the phar pharmacopoeia that we use um, in varying degrees for various reasons. And, and so, uh, you know, I should also mention that I was the host of a podcast called Free Weed from Danny Danko uh, from 2011 to 2018. And I've recently uh, launched a new podcast called Grow Bud Yourself, uh, you know, which is basically, you know, the mission of both of those shows was uh, to teach people to grow their own if they, if they, if they so, so wish. And if they don't, you know, at least to educate them as to how uh, great cannabis is grown so that they can judge the cannabis that they consume, uh, you know, by that criteria. And I think I'm also the person who's probably judged the most cannabis cups uh, ever in the history of, uh, of cannabis cups, uh, you know, in Amsterdam and, and America combined. And, and so, you know, I have that interesting perspective, I guess, on, on you know, what the flavors and effects and all of these things have uh, and what effect they have on, upon our palate and upon our, our, our mindsets and upon, you know, basically, you know, the medicinal aspects of it as well. Amazing. And I can personally recommend and attest to the quality of Danny's books. And if you're looking to grow your own, definitely pick up the latest book and I'll include a link in the show notes. So it's really easy. And I'm looking forward to checking out the new podcast. But Danny, I got to ask you, what is it like to be in that rarefied air and in that unique position of having had access to more cannabis product and probably more top shelf cannabis products than you know, 99% of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an honor, you know, it really is. It's, it's something like, uh, you know, I sort of dedicated my life to at a young age. Uh, and over time, you know, I was a High Times reader before I, I worked for High Times and, and I had even worked in the hemp industry uh, for a company called Headcase in the late 90s. We made hemp baseball hats and, and t-shirts and stuff. Um, so I really, it's something I dedicated my life to. And so, the, to have the opportunity to go to Amsterdam and, you know, meet the people who bred the seeds that I was growing back home in, in the U.S., it, it, I call it marijuana fantasy camp, you know, because if you're into baseball, you go to baseball fantasy camp. And if you're into cannabis, you go to the Cannabis Cup. It was really the, the, your opportunity to meet your heroes and, and, and shoot the shit with them, you know, and really talk shop and, and learn because really you know, it's all about learning and absorbing the information and, and not assuming that you know everything either. I mean, like that's, it, it's, it's quite humbling to go over there or to go to one of these events and, and listen to the panels and talk to the experts and find out that, hey, we're just simply scratching the surface of this plant and what its capabilities are and what uh, we can learn from it, you know, and glean 
for ourselves as a, as a species, you know, and for each individual for their own purposes. So can you tell me a story about one of those old school, like original, one of the first Amsterdam cups? I'm curious what it was like to be a part of one of those first cups. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I remember my first actually just got chills. I remember my first cup uh, was in the 90s and I, I was actually still with Headcakes. I wasn't with High Times. We were a vendor and we had a booth. Uh, we were selling baseball hats and we made base hemp, you know, hemp fabric baseball hats uh, for a lot of the coffee shops and the seed companies. So we made Sensi Seeds and TH Seeds and uh, we, we made, you know, we made their hats that they sold in, in their coffee shops or that they sold at their booths. Uh, and so we had a booth there selling hats, 420 on the hat and things like that. Uh, and my, our booth was directly next to Jack Harrow's booth where he was selling his book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which was so uh, seminal and influential on you know, the, the activism movement and the hemp movement in particular, but, but all of cannabis legalization movement. I mean, he basically said hemp would save the earth. Uh, he said you know, many things that we sort of take for granted now, but at the time sounded absolutely insane. I mean, he, he said hemp will save the earth. He said that you know, if you replace uh, alcohol and tobacco and, and, and you know, prescription drugs in your life with cannabis, you will live an extra decade minimum, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, things that sort of don't sound quite as outrageous now, but in the late 90s, in the height of the just say no kind of era, this was, you know, heresy, <laughs> you know, to declare these things. And he declared them in his, you know, very you know, sort of Jack Herrer kind of way as well. You know, he was very, uh, you know, uh, interesting in his uh, demeanor, you know. And here I am, a kid in my 20s, uh, you know, just selling hemp baseball hats, and, and he's there. I'm, the whole time, you know, this is like five days we're, we're there, he's just trying, you know, we're smoking, we're hanging out, he's just trying to feed me mushrooms the whole time. He's got, he's, he's purchased probably a pound of mushrooms, and he's just feeding everyone mushrooms. Mushrooms were the key to the universe, and and <laughs> all these things. And I, I you know, I'm trying to resist because I'm working a booth, you know, I got to, like, take in money and, and make change and this is in the guilders and, and pre-euro days and it's all very confusing i'm over there you know <laughs> and uh but ultimately you know on the last day he did prevail and i did <laughs> i did eat some mushrooms and uh listen to him you know sort of rap about you know mushrooms and cannabis as these you know sacred things that you know beyond anything that I, you know, I had, had a comprehension of at the time. And, and of course, tripping on mushrooms and listening to Jack Herrer say these things was, was uh, a pretty profound experience for me uh, at, at that age and at that time. Um, so that's something that I cherish and will take, you know, and, and of course the whole time we, we, we smoked, you know, I don't know, probably two or 300 joints between the two of us, you know, back and forth. I, I think I spent, I, my thumbs were, were were like blistered by the end of, of, of that, just from rolling, <laughs> from how many joints we rolled and smoked standing there, just selling, me selling hats and him selling books and signing books. I got a signed uh, copy of his book uh, from that event as well. That it's wow. one, of my, one of my cherished items as well. So yeah, I mean, that to me was one of those stories, but I, I have hundreds of those stories. That's the, the real perk of the job was, was being able to travel around and go all these festivals and, and meet these meet, meet the people who you know shaped our culture and our world. 
Wow. Well, I sure as hell hope that you're writing those stories down <laughs> somewhere and that one that day... Book number three, right? <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. For yeah. sure. I mean... One thing that the coronavirus has me doing is going through a lot of my archives and a lot of the stuff, you know, you come home from a cannabis cup, you just sort of throw everything in a box and, and put it away. Uh, now I'm opening up some of those things and seeing some, some real gems of, you know, so I'm going to start posting on my Instagram some of these uh, one-of-a-kind items that I've accumulated over the years. Amazing. I can't wait to see that. You know, I, I can only imagine what kind of uh, amazing objects you've got over there. Um, Danny, hold on. I, I'm like, I'm just trying to take all that in. That was so cool. I, I, <laughs> well, I got to say, you know, for all the celebrities that I've met and I've met a ton of them and, and almost all of them have been, you know, very interesting to me. It, it, it's the, it's the people I meet uh, who were really from the underground that are most inspiring. The people who paid their dues that I meet people who, you know, uh, I've met where, you know, I've been standing with Jorge Cervantes and someone will walk up and say, Hey man, thank you. You put my kids through college, you know, to him, you know, because their grow basically paid for, for them to send their kids to school. And it, it, it's really those moments that I are, are, are special as well. You know, like meeting celebrities is fun and great and, and, you know, and, and exciting, but uh, the most moving uh, of, of, of moments is, is meeting people, uh, who've, who've paid their dues and are now coming to realize that like, hey, we're winning and, you know, we got to keep fighting, but we're on the winning side. And, and you know, that's, that's important, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that, thank you for sharing that. I, I, it, it illustrates something that I try to remind myself and others of all the time, which is if you understand and respect the plant, it, can be such a powerful tool for emotional, physical, and financial health. And, you know, I think that that story really illustrates that where for a lot of people, you know, this plant is their, their lifeblood in, in a variety of ways. And, you know, I think that, you know, if you treat the plant well and respect it and, and ultimately cultivate it and, and, and use it for all of the many good things that it's capable of, you will be rewarded and you ought to be rewarded. Um, so anyway. I agree. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think, you know, my original motivations were, you know, very selfish. I enjoyed the feeling that it gave me and I enjoyed, you know, filling my pockets with the money that it gave me. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, becoming more political about it, going to some rallies, going to Boston Freedom Rally, going to these events and, and meeting people who had suffered uh, due to the war on cannabis that I realized that like there's more to this than just making yourself feel good and, 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 and getting paid. There's, you, you have to give, give something back to this uh, flower that, that's helping you and healing you. And it'll come, continue to give it back to you. That's why the original show was called Free Weed. You know, it was like, you know, a triple entendre, but it's basically, we want to free the weed, but I want weed to be free. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these people who owns cannabis stocks that are, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think cannabis should be free. It should be like, you know, the tomatoes or cabbages or basil that you grow in your garden and you share with your neighbors and your friends. 
or you have a food co-op or a mom and pop, you know, uh, farmer's market kind of situation. I, I, you know, that's the way I envisioned like free weed or legal you know, cannabis. So, you know. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm all for it. There's nothing uh, wrong with making money. I mean, again, like that's as, as long as your motivations are, are in the right place, you, there, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. As long as you're, you're doing it in an ethical way. And, you know, for me, it goes back to if you're not exploiting the plant or the people that you're, you know, working with or selling to or whatever it may be, then make money. You deserve it. If you're doing something good for people, you deserve to make money. So right. it's a win-win, you know, like I always consider you know, cultivation in, the, in that, in those terms and, and, you know, the underground marketplace in those terms as well. It's like, you know, typically it's a win-win. Danny, I want to ask you, I, I want to go back to the fact that you've tried and, you know, have had access to just so much cannabis over your career and over your life. And that, you know, not everyone gets access to, to try the stuff that you've been able to try and to judge the cups and really to sample the best of the best. And so I'm, I'm curious if there's, you know, over the years, certainly there have been, I imagine some standout moments where you just tried something and were like, whoa, like this shit is different or this is, you know, some next level, whatever. So I'm, I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind for you as as one of those just like <laughs> top of the top, best of the best. Yeah, I mean, I would almost have to divide it up by kind of decades uh, in a way because I do remember the first, you know, bong hit of Kaimba that I did in the 80s, you know, which was or maybe early 90s, uh, which was, you know, just light years beyond, you know, the Mexi brick or the Arizona green or whatever else we were smoking. Uh, at the time. Um, and so I remember that distinctly. Um, I remember in the 90s, later 90s, the first sort of white widow, white rhino, when that strain came around, it sort of obliterated the strains that came before it. It was like Nirvana, you know, did what Nirvana did to like hair bands, uh, white widow did to sort of Northern Lights and, and Skunk and some of the strains that were popular up until that. And then everything was white white widow, white rhino, white, great white shark, everything was white, white, white. And then, uh, and then, you know, so early 2000s, I think, or maybe late, late 90s, uh, would be the first experience with the chem, chem family, you know, and, and sour diesel and OG Kush. And the, that whole kind of um, gassiness that came around at that time, uh, and just had a, you know, kind of obliterating effect on a lot of the other strains of that time and then that became you know what people sort of consider the fire of, of its era uh and i think you know even now there's like this kind of fruity uh you know the comeback of sort of gassy fruity flavors uh you know um gelato and, and dosi dos and runts and things like that that are uh then the sort of new hype and new level of of uh Flavor, so there's kind of a moment like that for each, you know, each decade. Uh, but one thing that I have learned, you know, throughout all of it is that sort of the more you grow, the the more that quality suffers, and, and uh, yet another reason why 
you know, growing your own, uh, you know, at home or in a, in a grow tent or something is, is how you're going to come about uh, the highest quality. And that if, if you're purchasing cannabis that's grown in, you know, a hundred thousand square foot warehouse, uh, it's just not going to, it's not going to come close quality wise. Right, right, right. Well, I'm curious, what's, what's in your head stash right now? <laughs> well, what I'm smoking today, uh, I actually have it here. It's uh, Ghost Budsters Forbidden Fruit. Ghost Budsters, that's Ghost hilarious. Busters. This is uh, Cannabis Cup winners uh, from Michigan, actually. Uh, Ghost Budsters, and it's the Forbidden Fruit, um, but they've got a bunch of great flavors. Um, I have extracts here as well, um, covert extracts. So, you know, I'm doing some, some dabs and some joints and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the whole way we smoke is going to change because of this. You know, one thing that I always loved was, you know, the circle of, you know, passing the joint around. And I think, you know, that's kind of, at least, you know, in the short term, probably the long term sort of a, uh, a, a thing in the past. And, and that's too bad because, you know, the social aspects of that are, or something else, but you know, maybe we do like the Jamaicans, and each person sort of rolls a joint for themselves, and we can still be in that circle, you know, maybe six feet apart. Six feet apart, yeah. Right, but uh, but but the community is still there, and the social part of it is still there. Because I think, you know, not for nothing, but that's an important part of cannabis as well. I mean, I, I smoke at home by myself all the time, and, and it's great, and it's a wonderful feeling. But but uh, when it's a shared experience, I think. Uh, it, there's an added bonus and benefit to it when it's shared. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you just look at your friend and giggle and laugh or whatever it might be, you know, those things, those things that wouldn't have happened uh, were you not in a social environment. And, 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 you know, yet another medicinal benefit of cannabis because if you're like a senior or a veteran who's, you know, sort of shut away or, or doesn't have a lot of social um, experiences, um, cannabis can be helpful in that way as well, you know, and enhance that. And I think it's important, you know, I think everybody's suffering right now. Uh, we're all going to come out of this with some, some stress and post-traumatic post stress, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's happening and, and, you know, cannabis is great for that. I, well, I, I hear you. I completely agree with you. I, I actually even wrote an article last week about what I called post-pandemic stress disorder because I'm pretty sure that all the isolation, all the anxiety, all the fear, the uncertainty, the, the loss of economic security, all, all the death, all, all this stuff is, is trauma. You know, the whole world is going through a traumatic event right now. And I, like you, believe that cannabis could be a huge part of the healing that's going to be necessary for a lot of people. And I also, you know, the optimist in me believes that this shared trauma might be able to unite people and bring us together and build community and, and, and get people to understand that so many of these barriers between us are artificial and that really we all need each other and that we're all connected. Um, so that's my hope. Um, and we shall see. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting, though, that this smoking ritual, this sacred kind of cipher might be disrupted for a while or might not exist for a while. I, I hadn't really considered that. And that is pretty sad. It's pretty sad. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's it is. Uh, but there, are, I think that there's ways for us to, you know, to compensate for that, and and uh, definitely cannabis plays a role. I think all ethnogenic, uh, you know, psychotropic effects of, 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 of hallucinogens as well. I mean, whether people are microdosing or, or taking heroic-sized doses or whatever it might be, I do think that, uh, you know, psilocybin mushrooms and, and, and um, you know, LSD, MDMA, uh, ayahuasca, all of these things can also uh, play a role in that uh, as well. Because, you know, uh, we, we, one of the benefits that we've seen is an environmental benefit. And I think, you know, more people interested in, in farming and, and you know, growing their own microgreens, growing their own vegetables and fruits, growing, and, 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 and if that's something that we can take away from this uh, for all the, the, the misery and the pain and, and death and everything, uh, that's a positive. And I think uh, hopefully that will also help people to realize that these, these plants and these fungi have things to teach us, you know, we shouldn't be so arrogant as human, the human species to think that we can't learn uh, from the earth and, and the soil and the trees and, and the fungus that's out there that's obviously has those effects for some type of purpose, you know, yeah. <laughs> I could go on and on about it, but. Uh, well, yeah. I, I want to ask you about growing your own because you, you just mentioned, you know, the potential of people growing microgreens and growing their own food even. And, you know, I'm a big believer that the world would just be so much better off if there were community gardens all over and everyone was eating locally grown, community grown, you know, nutrient dense fruits and vegetables. And, you know, not to mention cannabis even, but it's if you do some research about big ag and how much water and natural resources they're using and how much waste they're producing and how much harm they're doing on a global level it's it's disgusting frankly and to me it seems like we have the technology to to make home growing and local growing so easy relative to you know, a hundred years ago or whatever. Um, so anyway, I, I don't want to go too far off that tangent, but I, I do want to ask you as far as for the listeners who might be interested in growing their own, aside from checking out your book and your podcast, what are, what are some tips that you would offer, um, you know, for someone who just wants to get started or whether it's cannabis or or anything but let, let's focus on cannabis because you know <laughs> right well you know um the first tip is is is, is don't overspend i mean there, there's not that much that you really need to get started uh, especially because there's going to be a learning curve as well so you can get yourself a, a, a kit basically that's like a grow tent right that just shows up in a box but it includes you know your lighting that you're going to need whether it be uh, leds or uh, metal halide or high pressure sodium lights, um, fluorescent lighting, you know, is, is another option, uh, all depending on your needs and the size of the tent and all of that. But, uh, these kits, you know, you can get them for 500, you know, less than a thousand dollars easily. Uh, and they come with everything you need basically in a box. It shows up, uh, and one person can set this, this tent up, you know, 
the light hangers are there, the exhaust fan is there, the charcoal filtration is there. And you know, sometimes some of these kits might come with an expensive hydroponic system, or you don't need that either. Just get the tent and the light and the fans and get yourself some cheap, you know, five gallon buckets like Home Depot buckets, drill some holes in, in the bottom of the bucket. Uh, put some, get some pro mix, uh, you know, or some kind of a, you know, soilless mix, uh, fill up the buckets and grow your plants in there and, uh, you know, monitor the, the temperature and the humidity with a simple, uh, you know, thermometer and, and humid stat or whatever. And, uh, um, you know, it's not that difficult. It's like having, you know, a fish tank or something. You got to monitor it. Uh, but you can do it and, you know, you're going to learn things along the way and you're going to make mistakes. And, um, but you can also have microgreens in the same space and you can have a, a you know, a plant that's a vegetable in there or whatever. Um, you know, it's fun. You know, that's the ultimate, you know, thing at the end of the day is that it's an enjoyable experience. It's actually quite, uh, quite fun uh, of a hobby. And, you know everything that went into your plants. You know the strain that it is, if it's you know specific for a medicinal purpose or if you want to, you know, CBD only or whatever it might be. Um, and you know whether there was pesticides used because you've been, they've been under your supervision. You know if they've been overfed. You know, you know everything that went into these plants. And then when you harvest them, you dry them, you cure them, and you consume them, there's no better feeling. Um, and you can do it, like I said, for cheap. Just don't overspend. Um, don't put minor before major. You know, the important elements are light, air, uh, plant food, water. Uh, those are like the big, you know, the big ones. And, you know, get like, uh, like you said, you know, get yourself a, a book. Uh, check out some information on the internet, but don't believe everything you read on the internet because there's a lot of bad, bad info out there. So, uh, you know, it, it it's fun and it's a great hobby and there's no, if it's, you know, there's nothing like consuming cannabis that you created out of thin air. I call it modern day alchemy. It's like you took soil and, and the seeds and, and water and light and turned it into medicine for yourself and, and there's no better feeling. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm an advocate for it. And, and, and it's going to be a better quality at a cheaper price than you can get. Uh, at any dispensary or even from your guy or gal that, you know, <laughs> comes by. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's been my whole mission is to get people to do that. And, and I think, you know, another thing is it's, it's, it, we got to make it cool. You know, people think gardening and, and farming is something that old people do or people in the country do, but anyone can, can garden, anyone can farm it. And, and, uh, and you should be teaching your kids how to do it too. I mean, that's, you know, this is the way, like you said, uh, it, it takes the, the burden off of this like, bloated industrial farming system that's just totally out of whack. And, and again, it has only been in existence for 50, 60 years. I mean, this is all post-World War II, where all these chemical nutrients and, and all this factory farming came in. I mean, before, before World War II, you know, we relied on family farms, and we can do so again. Uh, we just need more of them out there. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun, it's cool, and it's enjoyable, and it's less expensive than buying stuff at the store for, for a higher quality product. Um, so, yeah, that's why, that's why I advocate for growing your own. And, and that's, you know, like I said, get yourself a tent and, 
and the right equipment and you can do it. Amazing. And as soon as the quarantine hit New York, the first positive thought that came to mind for me was this is the perfect time to start a home grow <laughs> because you're going to be home. You have the time to monitor it and to care for it. And, you know, by the time this thing is over, you'll, you'll be able to harvest, you know, you'll, you'll have some, something to, to enjoy, you know, to look forward to, you know, something to look forward to. And, you know, uh, judging from, you know, sales of my book and, and interest in, in the podcast, there, there is a, a growing interest in uh, growing your own. And, and again, when, you know, we mentioned World War II, the propaganda in, in America was grow a victory garden, grow your own, you know, take the pressure off because we're feeding all these soldiers overseas and, and you know, there's any, anything you grow here is going to go that much further to helping the cause. And, you know, we're all in this together is the cliche everyone, you know, keeps seeing on TV or whatever, but that's ultimately the truth is that, you know, anything, I always thought of growing as a political act because any, any cannabis you grow increases the amount of cannabis in the world. And thus, you know, the, the, the thing in the nineties or you know, early two thousands was overgrow the government, you know, like just, you know, that was the computer, you know, site that everyone went to was overgrow.com. And, and, and the, the, the idea was if enough people grow and if there's enough cannabis out there and the quality just keeps improving, then that helps the politics of this as well, you know, because it's just like unstoppable. It's an av- it's like trying to stop an avalanche, you know, it's just over, you overgrow the government. That's amazing. I never heard that before. That's beautiful. <laughs> and Again, I, I would invite the listeners to imagine if that were the approach that people took to food as well, you know, how different our world would look instead of wasting, I, I don't know, I think it's like 20, 30% of all food in the world gets wasted. And meanwhile, you know, I think it's something like one in eight people in the world are hungry. So it yeah. just doesn't add up, you know? And no, and, and even if you're selfish about it, the quality of the produce is better. I mean, think of the strawberries you get at the farmer's market versus the strawberries you get at the grocery store. I, I mean, it's like two completely different fruits. You know, one is weighed down with water with no flavor, no big, huge strawberries, but no flavor and just, you know, like just a, 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 a thing that holds water basically. And then, the ones from the, the farmer's market are delicious. They might be a little small, a little smaller than the, you know, the bloated, you know, hydro uh, berries, but they're, they taste better and they're more nutritious, more delicious, and just a, a, a way better product to cook with or to eat. Absolutely. And the best way to know your grower or know your farmer is to be your grower or be your <laughs> farmer. And then once you grow that cannabis, you can consume it and get to know yourself in a whole new way. So, right. And all it takes is, like I said, a three by three or a four by four foot, footprint, you know, like the size of a stand up shower, you know, in your house. Uh, you just got to keep it light, tight. And uh, there you go. You know, it, you can do it in the corner of your bedroom. Amazing. So, Danny, any final thoughts or or info that you'd like to share or shout outs or anything before we shift gears into the coaching portion 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I'm on all basic social media. Facebook is Danny Danko. Uh, Twitter is Danny Danko. And Instagram is Danny Danko HD. Uh, the podcast is Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, you can check it out at growbudyourself.com or anywhere where you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, um, all the podcast places. And we have a Patreon page, which is really where like the community of the podcast lives. So if you want to sign up there, there's different levels and tiers that you can sign up. Uh, and, or you can just be a, fo a follower there for free uh, and then just get the notifications. But uh, the paid you know, tipping thing starts at $4.20 a month. Uh, if you go to the $25 level, you get a free copy of my book uh, signed and shipped to you. So, uh, and again, that's the community where if you want questions to ask, uh, row questions or, and, you know, we do giveaways. I've got like uh, stuff that's there just for, for Patreon, patrons on Patreon. <laughs> uh, yeah, exclusive uh, content as well. So, uh, yeah, those are my shout outs. Uh, and yeah. Nice. Well, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. And it makes me think. Huh, I need to go do I need to go do that. I need to go make a Patreon and do that oh, whole yeah. thing. And I do actually I want to ask you one more question before we shift gears, which is um you know, you've you've had success and longevity in this space and have a pretty stellar reputation as far as I know. And so I'm wondering what is your superpower? What has allowed you to succeed and 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 grow, you know? pun intended, of course, in the cannabis world. I mean, I guess maybe patience. I, I, uh, I try not to, you know, overreact to anything in particular, sort of um, judge a situation uh, from outside of it in, in some ways. And so I think that there's, you know, we're obviously in, in an industry that it's gotten larger, of course, but when I started, it was quite, you know, small uh, and in some ways a little bit incestuous you know, where there were business partners that had falling outs and, and all kinds of situations where you'd meet one person and they'd tell you about this person and then you'd meet them and it'd be a whole different story and there's all these disputes and, and marriages and, and partnerships and, and it, you know, it became kind of hard to navigate at times uh, and I think, you know, sometimes you just have to step back and say, you know, see the bigger picture and say, okay, there's all of these things going on uh, as there is in probably every industry uh, but in particular in this one, because, you know, we, we all have to trust each other. We're actually still <laughs> at war in a way. So, you know, we have to trust each other. But I think um, being able to see the bigger picture and, and understand that, uh, you know, there's a larger vision, you know, sometimes baby steps as much as, as annoying as that can be uh, are important, you know, because, you know, if you put five or six baby steps together, you actually get a lot further uh, than if you just demand something over and over and don't get there at all. Uh, so, you know, there's a bit of compromise and a bit of just, hey, you know, keep your eye on the prize, which is legal cannabis, which is, you know, the prisoners released from prison, records expunged, you know, home grow being legal, uh, social use, when all this is over, we want, you know, we want to be treated like consumers of cannabis that, are, that we are, not criminals, not derelicts, and dirt bags, and, you know, all these things, the stigma that we've had to live with. So I guess I would say, uh, I guess a little bit of patience is my superpower, or just being able to compromise and see the big picture. 
So patience, and it, that reminds me of something I talk about in my book, the Cannabis Business Book, which Danny is one of the 50 experts I interview uh, to give advice for cannabis entrepreneurs and investors. And one of the biggest things that came up repeatedly is take a long-term view. You cannot be in this industry for the quick flip or for a short, fast money type thing. It's just not going to work out for you. And if you really plan on being in this industry, you have to take the long-term view because that war that we're still fighting to have weed be free is far from over. Despite all the legalization and all the progress, which I'm not knocking it, it's great. I'm super happy that we've made so much progress <laughs> as a community, um, but we're, the plant is far from free. The stigma is far from over. Uh, you know, there's still way too many prisoners who are, you know, in, in a much, much more harmful situation and dangerous situation and, and an unjust situation just for being in the business of cannabis. Um, and, and so there's really a lot of work left to do. And so if you're planning to be in the cannabis business, or if you want to make money off of cannabis, then you absolutely, one, must be an activist, and two, you must be patient and in it for the long haul if you want to succeed. It's the same with growing. It's the, it parallels cultivation because the biggest mistakes people make typically are overdoing it, overwatering, overfeeding. Uh, you know, trying. Sometimes you just have to step back and let the plants grow. You know, let them do their thing, and 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 that's a hard lesson to learn. Uh, for growing and and in an industry is just you know sometimes let things happen organically <laughs> don't panic it's organic and and speaking of things happening organically i'm going to put on my coaching hat now and i'm going to ask you danny to to share with me if you're willing some business or personal challenge that you're facing um and i'm going to give you my best shot at, at offering some support and taking you higher with some coaching. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, one of my biggest challenges really is procrastination. I think, uh, you know, I, I put things on my to-do list and, and, and then I sort of dread doing them in, in a way I get this kind of resistance, almost like a fear of success. Like, if this happens and this happens, then this is going to happen. And, and, and there's almost an anxiety there, even though it's, it's what I want. So, you know, I want my podcast to be successful and I know the steps I need to take to make that happen. And, and, it, and it is happening. And yet I have this kind of weird innate resistance in ways to sometimes doing the thing I need to do at, in that moment. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of put it off or I sort of dread it for a while. And then when I do it, it, it goes great. Let's say like if I have an interview I have to do or whatever, I sort of dwell and dwell and dwell. And then I do it and it goes great and I get it over with and I feel great about it. And, but, but it's that, that prior, that anticipation of it um, sometimes that causes almost like a block in me in a way, and I, I don't quite understand where it comes from, or maybe it's just part of my process. 
and it's necessary, I don't know. Uh, but I do feel like in ways it keeps me from thriving 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, or like a text that I get, you know, from someone where I know what I want to say and I know, and I just wait and wait to reply for, for whatever reason. I just, you know, right now is not the right time for me to reply to this. Even though I have a reply or whatever, I don't know. It's just this strange resistance sometimes to, to forward progress. Very interesting. Um, I can totally relate. I'm a big procrastinator and that is something that I, I have, have to work on constantly. Um, the, oh, I could do it later. It'll be fine. You know, no big deal. And I can tell you in my, in my studies of, you know, psychology, coaching, high performance, et cetera, you know, procrastination is, is categorized as a form of self-sabotage. And I think it's an important piece of awareness just to recognize it as such and, and to see it as a, a harmful behavior and one that's easily changeable, or, or maybe not easily, but it, it certainly is changeable. And then I do want to make a joke, which is, you know, maybe you should smoke less weed. This, <laughs> just kidding. Um, well, you know, it's like weed or no weed, it's there. And I think, you know, some of it, I think, has to do with the 18 years I spent at High Times with this monthly deadline, you know, where, you know, you know exactly what day everything you have is due. And there's a managing editor that's expecting that editor- editorial to be in their hands on that day. And, you know, I, there's times when I would wait literally till the last day and just bang it all out in, in, in three or four hours. And, you know, and I knew I, I probably could have done a better job if I had taken my time, you know, but it's almost like I needed the pressure and I needed the deadline to be right around the corner in order to act. And, and it, it, like you said, it is self-sabotage because ultimately, you know, you could do a better job if you had more time and you did have the time. You just wasted the time, and, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know I, what the solution is, but I, I, you know, I started microdosing in order to try to sort of break through this as well. Because if it is self sabotage, then that means, you know, you have some type of block, you know, that that doesn't want you to succeed, and 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 I just think that's crazy. You know, I I, I have succeeded. I continue to succeed. Uh, but you know, and, but sometimes I'm, I stand in my own way. Right. Right. And it's, it's really interesting for me to hear all that because it's, I can totally relate to all of that, especially the pressure, you know, for me, I like having that pressure because then for me, you know, for, I'm going to finish the thought. Sorry. Something just came up. I'll, I'll get to it. But for me, it's like there's a certain extra joy or or thrill of being in that pressure situation of the, oh, shit, it's all due tomorrow. Let me see if I could pull it all together and get it done. And there's a certain uh, joy I get from, you know, being, feeling clutch or feeling like, oh, yeah, I, I, I got this shit done. You know, like I, I could wait to the last minute and it's still cool kind of thing. Does that resonate yeah. for you at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's almost like 
you know, you're laying the tracks down as the train is, you know, barreling towards you. And, you know, you get the, you keep laying the tracks and laying the tracks and, and you, you, you get kind of addicted to the thrill of, of, you know, coming that close, you know? Right. And, and then the, the thing that came up for me that I made me laugh is, you know, we're both Soviet and, and I, I feel like there's this cultural Soviet thing that, um, and I know for me, I, I've definitely been raised with this belief from my parents and grandparents who are super Soviet, right? Because they grew up there. Um, that like, you have to suffer. Things have to be hard. Right. Like if you're, if things are, if things come easy, if success comes easy, then you're like a bad human being or something. Because we we must suffer. Like I feel like. I don't know if that resonates for you at all, but yeah. I feel like uh, that's such a big cultural thing. Yeah. Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, I can, I literally had the, that conversation with my, my mom that, you know, how, you know, she'll tell me how, how bad it was. And yet, you know, how much great ama- amazing art and poetry came out of, of the suffering. And that those are the things that, that, you don't get when you don't suffer, you know, you don't get great art and great poetry and great, all those great things because that has to come out of suffering. And that's a, you know, I I mean, (laughs) there is some truth to it, I think, because look at, you know, the comedians, you know, typically, you know, have these backgrounds where they, you know, they they needed that approval and and are they need, you know, they needed to suffer in order to, to be funny. You know, there's this myth that, that, that exists. And I think, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it is a Soviet kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's almost like you relish, you know, the suffering because you know that, uh, that good things come out of that. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know. What's, <laughs> how do you get past it though? So, so I want to ask you, I, I want to, I want to get a bit deeper in this cause I heard you offered two potential options, which is, one that, hey, maybe procrastinating is just part of my process and that's okay. And I'll just keep doing it and, and that's fine. I, I heard that as one option. Another option I heard you say was, I feel like I could do things better and thrive 100% if I didn't procrastinate. Um, so that, that's a second option. And the third option is, you know, there's plenty more options but those are just two that you mentioned. So I'm wondering if any of those, if either of those sound like the one that you want, or if maybe there's a third option or something that comes to mind for you. Like what, what do you think would be a good way forward for you? It's hard to say. I mean, it's been working for me, you know, like the procrastination and the, you know, it, it, it's worked. And so, you know, Part of me says, you know, why mess with something that works? Because, uh, again, maybe I need that pressure. Maybe I need uh, to, you know, and you know, to, to, in order to thrive, in order to, you know, I have to suffer to get the, the good art out. Uh, but again, like, I don't know. Maybe there's a happy medium where I can I can do that without uh, quite reaching the the level of of sort of stress that that sometimes comes out of that where I have this dread of doing the thing 
and yet I do the thing and I feel fine afterwards. So it's all, it all happens in the, in the moments of anticipation rather than even while I'm doing it, I'm not really stressing about it. And, and then after I'm done, I'm like, what was I even, why was I even kind of resisting that? Like that, that was so easy, you know? And I don't know, maybe I, I, I honestly feel like a lot of people feel the same way about a lot of things. Because uh, I, I, I have heard people discuss this kind of thing and I don't think, you know, I don't think it's unique to me in any way. Uh, but it is that weird sort of sort of existential dread of like, what if this all goes wrong? Or I don't know. There's just this weird feeling of like, before it happens, that there's this, there's infinite possibilities and some of them are negative and, and So, yeah. So let me ask you this, Danny. What is, what's this procrastination costing you? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I guess just a little bit of my, I don't know, just well-being, I guess, like, you know, the, you know, cause once in a while, I guess there'll be like a sleepless night, you know, where I'll just have kind of, I'll feel insomnia for no particular reason, just your brain's racing, thinking about the things you got to do the next day. And, and, and especially now it's like less, most of it's pretty stress free as far as, you know, I have a podcast a week and I have, you know, you're not going to plan, you know, guests and, and, and content and things like that, but it's really not as uh, sort of fast paced as it was when I had a print magazine and a website and, uh, you know, all these other things, you know, it's basically just social media and a, and a podcast. And, and yet still I'll find reasons to sort of, you know, not sleep on it and, and be thinking about it in the middle of the night. And I don't know. So I guess that that's really what it costs. It doesn't really cost me anything. I don't think financially or, or, you know, in any real major way, I think it's just a little bit of extra stress. Got it. And so I'm wondering then how important is it for you to, to change this behavior or to solve this procrastination issue? Uh, hmm. Wow. It's not, it's really not at the moment. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's, it's not that. Important. I'll do it later. I'll right. do it later. I don't need to I'll solve it, it now. And also, you know, I mean, I may be taking on more responsibilities in the near future and it might become uh, a bigger issue. But uh, again, I think uh, I just need a more, I, I, I just need a probably like a better to-do list basically. And and, and, and a better feeling of scratching things off of that list. Uh, because it, it does feel good to take the things off that list. It's just the, the, the moments right before that, that, <laughs> that are the, the tricky ones, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, hmm, maybe I, you know, maybe I could do this tomorrow. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I, oh, oh, I could definitely do this tomorrow or, or maybe even the day after. You know, it'll still be fine. Who cares? That's what's nice about actually having a weekly show because we, you know, we, we, we have to put out a show every Thursday. Uh, in the past, we just did it on the side. So we do a show every three weeks, a show every two weeks, maybe take a month. You know, from 2011 to 2018, there was only 103 episodes. So, you know, there were few and far between sometimes. Uh, and now that I'm doing, you know, I'm committed to a weekly show. Uh, in order to maintain consistency, because it was really the one thing that held back uh, 
the show in the past was, you know, being consistent. And so it has given me a better routine, you know, as far as that goes, because I know, you know, you can't leave everything to Wednesday night. If you're going to launch Thursday, you got to do part of it on Monday, part of it Tuesday, you know, get it all stitched together. There's a, there is a schedule. So um, that's nice. You know, it's nice to have that. What, what about that is nice? What does that give you? Just a, a bit of a structure of like, you know, and then, and then I feel good at the end of, you know, Monday, if I have part of it already in the can, then I know that like, you know, I'm not going to be stressing Wednesday because, uh, you know, I'm going to, I also have Tuesday to do some, some of it and then Wednesday to do some. And then, you know, it, it's just, it, it's like a little bit less stress uh, in terms of scheduling and, and, and all that. So let me ask you this, Danny, in, in growing cannabis, how important is a schedule and consistency? Very, very important. I mean, I, you know, I teach people all the time, you have to see your plants at least once a day. I mean, regardless of whether everything's going perfectly well and you don't have to water, you don't have to, you know, even if the temperature and everything's perfectly fine, the humidity, you still have to get in there, uh, look at the undersides of the leaves, you know, just, uh, you know, you, you have to maintain uh, a schedule, you know, and, and, and part of that means seeing those plants every day and not just the plant that's like right at the front of the tent, but like the one in the back corner as well, because inevitably that's where the problems are going to arise anyways, is the, the furthest one away from you, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's, it is important. You know, I, I tell people keep notes, uh, have a calendar handy, you know, and know exactly what you did on every day. Uh, and if everything goes well, you want to replicate that. And if things, if there's a problem, you have a record of it. You can go back and see what, what you messed up. But it is important. In growing or in cultivation, if you procrastinate in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have for sure. You know, especially if you're growing, you know, hydroponically and everything sort of revolves around your reservoir. You know, your, your reservoir is where all your your water and your nutrients and everything is in there and you know you're really supposed to change that uh every week you know and you know you can stretch it to like every two weeks and i can remember stretching it to like oh i'll just add some plain water and i'll just add some you know just i don't uh, it's such a pain in the ass and you know the plants event ultimately are going to suffer if you do that but uh you know you learn that the hard way by stretching it too too far and saying oh maybe i can just go a month without you know emptying this thing out and starting over just by adding, you know, plain water and nutrients. And what happens is it, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, you end up uh, with a toxic mix and you end up hurting the plants. Uh, but I do remember distinctly just being like, ah, it's a pain in the ass. I don't think I want to do that right now. You can always wait a day. And then the next day you can always wait another day. Then a week builds up to, you know, a week and a half and you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, they seem to be okay. You know, right, they're right, still right. green. <laughs> but so, so but yeah, it's not yeah. I mean, it's la It's a little bit of laziness. It's a little bit of uh, you know, putting things off, and you know, right. And so, so I, I hear that you've done this in your cultivation, and you do it more so. It sounds like in your creative work. Um, I'm curious, what's the belief about yourself? that allows you to 
procrastinator to say, ah, oh, I, I could do it later. I don't, I could do it. Uh, I'll be fine. It's fine. I could wait till the last minute. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it goes back to sort of maybe the self-sabotage idea of like, uh, you know, maybe you don't deserve all of this, you know, maybe you're an imposter. Maybe this is like, you know, rarefied air and what are you doing breathing in it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't never, never really analyzed it this deeply, but I do know that like, I feel like a lot of people have that uh, sort of hang up and I can't say that, you know, I go, you know, a hundred percent of the time without, without that. So I, I've heard you say fear of success and I've heard you say fear of failure <laughs> and, and I would offer to you that likely it's both and maybe even a fear of loss or a fear of abandonment or fear of the unknown at different times, there's different triggers for the resistance and Fear Frank, of change. Fear yeah. of change, yeah. Change, yeah. Because what might happen if things change? What might happen to you? I don't know. I like the way things are. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. The way things are, I'm comfortable with. If right. Change, if things change, that I might be uncomfortable there. You know? Right. And I'm not a believer in, in that the whole Oprah, you know, go out of your comfort zone. And, and I, I like to be comfortable. What is that technique called where you stress the plants and kind of like shake them and break them a, a little so they grow <laughs> bigger? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different sort of there's fimming and there's, uh, you know, just sort of beating up on the plants. And, and um, yeah, there's different sort of techniques like that where you stress them out for different reasons, uh, particularly if you want them to hermaphrodite and you want to create, you know, feminized seeds and things like that. That, that's another stress factor that you, you, you stress the plants out in order to make them behave in a particular way. But what's interesting is, you know, I don't know. My, my high level basic understanding is that that helps them grow ultimately. Well, yeah, if you, if you beat up the plants, uh, it does make them stronger. I mean, like I had a friend, Easy Gene, who would use a hockey stick and he would just rub the, whole, the top of the plants and you'd think he was killing them. I mean, they'd all been, be bent over. Uh, and then, you know, within 20 minutes, you see they, they come back and they come back stronger and, and with thicker stems. Uh, and they, they're able to carry the weight of the buds later. Like he, does, he never used stakes or, or any kind of uh, trellising or anything. He just beat his plants up so much that they, they just developed stronger trunks and stronger branches. Interesting, interesting. So <laughs> what I, I want to point out one thing to you because I think this is a great contradiction. You know, you're telling me on one hand, it's like, I like things the way they are. I don't want to change. I don't want to go do this thing that might change stuff because that'll be stressful or uncomfortable, right? Right. But, but then at the same time, by not doing the thing and procrastinating on it, you stress yourself out. Right, and then after the thing is done, I feel great. Right, but but you're but there's this situation. The in between situation is, you know, you're like trying to avoid stress, and then you create this stress. You you get that? Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's this dynamic of that you're putting yourself in. That's like, 
kind of a, a lose lose in some way. Um, and the point that I want to make is that there's a different way that, you know, if you're willing to try something different, there is a different path. Does, do you see that? Do you hear that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to different paths. So I don't have an answer for you. Right. And, and there, this is a big, deep topic. We only scratched the surface cause there's a lot of stuff here, like looking at all, you know, it, 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 it would help if we looked at like a specific situation where you procrastinated and like, what did you choose to do instead? And, you know, kind of, we could break it down and, and get some, extract some, some wisdom out of that. But uh, where we are going to come up on time soon. And so I want to offer you a couple of ideas and maybe some suggestions. Um, first, is, is that okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. So first is there's a great book that I, I absolutely love all about resistance. And maybe you know it already. It's called The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield. And it's, it's literally all about resistance um, and that, that, that story that we tell ourselves, you know, instead of doing the thing of, oh, I could do it tomorrow or whatever it may be. Um, so I would definitely recommend that book just to, to bring greater awareness of what's happening to me in those moments and actually seeing how well-documented and common that is as part of the creative process. It's guaranteed, you know, that, that procrastinating part of you is never going to go away. Right. And, and I think it's really important for you to, remind yourself that, hey, in spite of that, I've still created all of this great stuff and have achieved all of these accomplishments and successes and wins. And so even if I have that procrastinating voice or that resistance, or even if it's the fear or whatever, that's just hardwired in. And that's okay. It's not, it's not that big a deal. You know, only if you allow it to become a big deal, right? And then it's, once the reservoir goes toxic, then it's a big deal. But if it's just like a small thing, you know, as long as you have it under control, it's not a major issue, right? So I, I think there's, maybe you'll find some comfort in just acknowledging that. Um, and then my, my recommendation for you would be to just, when you, when you start recognizing that voice and you, 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 you notice it and it's happening when it starts, you know, pull that weed, nip it in the bud. You know, those are my, my terrible <laughs> plant puns, but you know, I, I think there's like, I, I would almost challenge you to make it a game for yourself of how quickly can I move out of that space or how quickly can I, can I move past that and remind yourself that, Hey, you know, this is, this is just my fear of failure talking, or this is my fear of change, or this is my, you know, some stupid belief that I picked up somewhere that actually is not what I want right now. And instead remind yourself, cause it's really about the habit of what do you do when this happens? Do you indulge in procrastinating or do you decide to, 
take an action or take one of those patient baby steps away from the resistance and towards the goal and the task. And so I, what I believe is if you get more attuned to recognizing and, and, and noticing, oh, hey, this is my fear of whatever, just trying to get me to push this off and, and saying to yourself instead, no, fuck that. I'm going to go do this thing. I like crossing it off the list or I, I like getting my stuff done. And, you know, I'm going to be happy when I review at the end of the day or the week and say, hey, on this day, I wanted to procrastinate. And instead, I did this, you know, this is just a hockey stick coming in to, to <laughs> ruffle, ruffle the leaves over here or to, to push around my branches. But, but, you know, I'm just going to grow because of this. So I, I, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, right. for sure. Do you think that's that's helpful? Do you think that's you know yeah. something that you could put into play? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll try for sure. You know, definitely. All right. I, I would recommend. I, I recommend the book. It's super entertaining. It's short, and I think it's. I would recommend it to anyone who's a creative of any kind because the resistance is real, and I imagine for a heady guy like yourself that that resistance is probably really clever and and smart and it's like ah nah come on man just you know like <laughs> a very resourceful resistance does that does that sound right yeah yeah for sure awesome all right well i i i hope that that's helpful and i'm going to ask you what was the most valuable part of that conversation with me or what was your biggest insight from that? I think, uh, you know, just maybe making it a game, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a pretty competitive when it comes to things like ping pong and, and pinball and whatever else it might be, golf, uh, soccer, whatever. Like I'm, I'm competitive, you know? And uh, I think if I feel like it's a game that I can win, you know, like chess, and you know, that's another one us Soviets love. <laughs> you know, I've been teaching my son. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because you get into, like, the chess is a metaphor for everything. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, but anyways, you know, I still, he hasn't beat me once. <laughs> he just turned 10. But he hasn't beat me once, and it's because I'm competitive. You know, I'm not going to let him beat me. He's going to have to earn it. Uh, and he knows that. <laughs> he doesn't like it, but it's true. Uh, so when he does finally win, it will be for real. But it's the same with this, I think, making it a game and thinking of it as an opponent and winning over that opponent uh, will feel like a triumph for me uh, and a win. And I think that, to me, is, is the takeaway uh, and a way of seeing it that I didn't look at it before. You know, it was always a nemesis rather than a competitor or an, an enemy who was like, it had the power but I think you know if I feel like I can take that power and use it against it <laughs> then then uh then that's a win and I can feel that same relief and euphoria that I feel at the end of completing the task even before I actually start doing it just from defeating the resistance to doing it right right that's awesome 
I, I, I would offer you just a, a little cherry on top of that, just some food for thought is, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you could tap into your competitiveness and, and get that euphoria of the win at the start of the task, as well as at the end of the task by seeing the victory over resistance as a win and enjoying and celebrating that win. Um, and I, I would just offer you that two, two, two things that might help. One is viewing those moments of resistance of not only may you be letting your resistance win, but you might be letting your competitors win by procrastinating, right? Because if you're choosing, maybe, maybe it would be helpful for you to tell yourself the story like, hey, if I'm procrastinating right now, but my competition or whatever isn't, then I'm, I'm selling myself short. And maybe that fear, ironically, will, will spark you towards the productive action. That, that's one idea. I, I don't know if that works for you or not, and I'm just throwing it out there as a possible mm-hmm. one. And then the other thing I just want to remind you of is ultimately you have the power because the resistance also comes from you, right? That's a part of you. And so I I, want to caution you from, you know, don't go to war with yourself, right? Like compete with that voice or that, that belief or that, that tendency. And also at the same time, know that, hey, it's okay, this is a part of me, and that's okay. You know, and sometimes I wanna be lazy, sometimes I, I'm afraid, or sometimes I'm, I wanna procrastinate, and that's fine, you know? Because I know for me, I, I, and I, I'm just throwing that in for you, because I know for me sometimes, when I get into procrastinating, if I, it's easy for the reservoir to become toxic, and when I say the reservoir, I'm talking about my mind, and I get into that place of like, just abusing myself in my head of saying, oh, you lazy piece of shit. What the fuck are you doing? Go to work. What the (laughs) fuck is wrong with you? And all that stuff that, I don't know if that's a thing for you, but I know that I've certainly fallen into that trap before and I know how painful it is. And so, you know, the way to not let that happen is to just to accept that, hey, sometimes I'm going to be lazy. That's okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think so, I, I, I need, I need what you're smoking. You have to give yourself that, that time too. I mean, you have to, you know, I think really uh, if, it, if, if there was a way to keep score, that, <laughs> that would be helpful. If I could say like, I won this time. That's one, nothing me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm going to start marking it down. That's a great, that's a great, are you committing to that? Because I'll, I'll check so. in and, is, and is I'll. That, I was just thinking about like the competitiveness of it. And I was like, well, how do I actually, you know, keep score? <laughs> just, you know, one, one nothing. Danny. Yeah. Well, Danny. <laughs> I would, well, so are you willing to commit to keeping score for a week? I mean, I'll try. I'll try. Really what I want to do is just, you know, do it. And like, you know, I'll try. That's the, it's the uh, same with chess. It's like, you know, you win some, you lose some, uh, but you learn something every time. But, you know, I don't have a running, you know, score in my head when that, (laughs) as far as that goes, but yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Maybe I will, you know, maybe I'll think about that. 
I, I would highly encourage you to, to keep score for a week or even a day, you know, just like pick one work day and map out the to-do list at the beginning. And then for each thing, see if you, you know, each time you don't procrastinate, mark it down. And each time you do mark it down. And I would almost think of it like a, like a batting average, right? Cause even if you get one extra base hit, you know, you know, the difference between a 250 and a 300 over the stretch of a 10 year career is a huge difference. So e even just one, one win over resistance, every 10 at bats compounds to be a huge difference. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just gonna yeah. put it out there. Put yeah. that in your pipe and like smoke it, it Danko. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, thank you so very much for for joining me on the show today and for allowing me to, to do my coaching dance with you. It was a lot of fun for me to have you here and I hope you had a good time and, and hopefully got something out of this. Um, I, I wanted to know if you have any closing words, thoughts, anything else before I let you go and get on with your day where you're going to kick resistances ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just closing words would be uh, to people, you know, just like you said, respect the, the, the plant and uh, it will, you know, do wonders for you in return. And it, it was an honor to be a part of your events here in the city. Hopefully uh, that'll be coming back sometime in the future as well. And thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you to the people out there, you know, keep the fight going. Uh, we still got a ways to go. We got a lot to celebrate, but, and we got the wind, our, wind at our backs. So it's no time to slow down. You know, New York legalization is coming and we need it. And, uh, you know, nationwide legalization and worldwide is on the way as well. So keep the fight going. Uh, enjoy the healing flower. And thank you for your uh patronage and support and kind words and friendships uh, throughout all of the years. Uh, I have to thank Cannabis for everything that uh, she's done for me uh, and for, you know, really making my life much, much uh, more enjoyable and giving me experiences that I couldn't, uh, couldn't have paid for. So thank you. Nice. Yes. Thank you, Cannabis. You're number one. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach.